0: On this episode of Resi Week, we talk to CEDIA's new co CEOs, as well as Epson's suing over specs. And theaters are just like fine wine. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week.
1: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.
0: This is RSI Week, Episode 253, Emotive Language. Support
2: for AV Nation is brought to you by
1: Vanco International. Learn the technology behind the award-winning EVOIP, AV over IP system.
0: Become EVOIP certified today.
2: And by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. Welcome to this episode
0: of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for TV. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Mr. Giles Sutton. He is currently uh, the SVP of Industry Engagement and something new that we'll get into in a second from Cedia. How are you doing, Giles?
2: Hi, Matt. I'm doing well. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Then we have Alex Capas cilantro He's the founder of Josh AI. How you doing, Alex?
1: Doing great. It's good to be here.
0: Thank you for being here as well. Uh, before we kick off some stories, and we have a bunch to get to. Um, Alex and uh hey, correct me if I'm wrong. Is is this is this you? Is this you and Josh AI? Is it Josh AI? Um, you guys are doing a really cool uh industry secret Santa for those in the US, which excludes both Giles and myself, but you know, it's still, it's a great start. (laughs) Um, Just before we jump into uh, the stories of the day, tell us why you guys decided to, to jump into the Secret Santa world of fun.
1: Yeah, so this is something that I think about every year and truly just, it's always a thought that doesn't happen. And I think with COVID, I finally said, you know, it's not a lot of work to make a very first version get off the ground. It doesn't need to be a lot. And we just said, you know what, let's keep it just to the US for now so that shipping costs, everything else are pretty reasonable, but just put it out there and said, who in the industry would like to be part of a secret Santa? For those who don't know, secret Santas are kind of brilliant because you set a a price cap of sort of, you know, everyone getting a gift about the same price and then you send it completely anonymously. And so you don't know who got you, you fill out a little form of what things you might want, what things to avoid, you know, so if you like wine, if you have a dog, that kind of stuff. Um, And we had about 50 people sign up for it. Um, It's underway right now. And it's been really fun kind of seeing people's engagement. And I just think this is something that we as an industry can do so much bigger next year. And so I'm actually glad that we've got Giles here with Cedia and, you know, even you know, Matt, talking about aviation and everything that you do, I think we can make this a global thing where, you know, there's sort of a Canadian version, maybe a, a UK version. Um, and I think we just make it a full on industry thing next year, because honestly, it doesn't take a lot of effort, but it's super fun. And the brilliant part is once people start getting their gifts, trying to figure out a place where they can share what they got, because that's when the real fun comes out. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we, we just kicked this off, uh, sent out the uh, matches yesterday so it's really fresh um, and I'm excited to see what people end up doing with it.
0: Yeah, it, it's a really cool initiative and uh, I, I think we can work something out for next year and, and try to grow this uh, a little bit internationally too because we matter too outside of the US. Just don't try and ship liquor across the borders. That's a whole other uh, animal so so don't touch that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention off the top is, uh, and you can see this on CE Pro and a bunch of other websites, uh, the Cedia award submissions are now open for 2021. It's a little bit earlier than normal. So go check that out. Uh, speaking of Cedia, let's kick this off with our first story of the day that comes to us from avnation.tv. Cedia has announced their new interim co-CEOs, hence my lead-in at the start. Uh, Cedia has announced that Giles Sutton, who, as we mentioned, is the Senior Vice President of Member Success and Sales, and Corey Dickerson, Senior Vice President of Operations, are going to step up together and take over as interim co-CEOs, replacing uh, Tabitha O'Connor, who's departing in January. Giles, uh, thank you for obviously joining us in general, but thanks for coming on to talk about uh, this new role and and what this means. And first of all, I'd, I'd like you to jump in for a second and j- just tell us what this means going forward. It are, obviously there will be some changes, um, but does this change anything from kind of the, the current state of where the association is and that that, that plan and, and that um, future direction that CD has been planning to go?
2: Thanks, Matt. Well, I think you know the first thing to say is um, obviously we need to recognise you know the the outgoing CEO Tabitha O'Connor, who you know was with the association for 18 years, and it's on her watch that we've seen some you know amazing changes to the association. And for someone to have been so dedicated to um, to CEDIA for such a long time, I mean, it's it's really an amazing amazing achievement. So. Um, You know, I think the interim role, we feel um, both Corey and myself really kind of humbled that the board have really sort of trusted us to, I see it as kind of taking care or sort of, you know, taking care of the association during this interim period while the board uh, carry out its uh, search for for the long term CEO, and that that will take probably a bit of time. Probably, you know, it's going to take it's going to take months, hopefully not years, but but some months to actually determine um, the right person for that role. What Corey and I really want to do is um, really focus on you know the strategic plan that we've um, that we've had in in place um, for the last three years, and really start to 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 sort of focus our efforts. You know, we're we're in an interesting um, point right now with the association you know it's been a certainly a challenging year without having in-person events we haven't had you know expo it's been challenging to build you know uh, engagement with our members um, we, we we know now actually what we really need to be doing is prioritizing and um, a lot of what Corey and I want to do is is look at all the things that we do and really hone in on how we can add value to to our core customers and that's really you know the integrators um, as well as manufacturers that are, that uh, support us, so really the first thing, first step for us is is really laying out our plan, what, what we think we can achieve uh, during this interim period and uh, working with the board to ensure that it aligns with our strategy uh, and, and, and then and then executing it.
0: yeah very good and again, congratulations, that's fantastic uh, Alex one of the things that, that Giles touched on and, and the articles touch on it as well is that obviously this is an interim position that they're going to begin uh, a global search for a, a full-time CEO. What, is that, what does that look for? What What should the association be looking for in a CEO?
1: That's a great question. And for those who don't know, I do serve on the CDIA board. So full transparency on that. Um, this is, arguably the the most important thing that I will participate in as a board member, because finding and, and setting the right CEO and the right leadership team will either put CD on the right path or potentially on a, you know, not the best path. And so we're spending a lot of time as a board really talking about what are the characteristics that we're looking for? What are the sort of past experiences that we want this person to bring to the table? But we're also talking to various industry leaders um and passport members who have strong opinions about this and really we're just putting a lot of effort into what's the right job description and the right sort of qualities and traits that that would need to be exhibited in this person to help drive CD in the right direction and i think you know when we look back at the last i don't know 10 20 years we've learned a lot you know sometimes when people don't work out you know we had vin bruno for a bit who you know did some things great ultimately didn't work out as a long term ceo we learned, we learned a bit, we learned about these things, you know, to look for these things, maybe to try to avoid. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a long process. You know, typically these are six to nine month searches for any organization trying to hire a CEO, um, similar to what we're trying to do, but we want to take our time. We want to do it the right way. And we're just super happy that Giles and Corey are stepping up because it makes it a really nice transition. They know the organization, they know the members, they know the strategy. And so we think we're in a really healthy place, but it will be exciting to have this conversation a year from now and to look back and say, look at everything that happened, look at the new leadership. And I'm hoping that people will feel really excited about the direction forward.
0: Yeah. Very, very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from residential systems. Epson has filed lawsuits against Amazon projector sellers for misleading advertising claims. Uh, if you have ever gone down the the rabbit hole that is Amazon uh, projectors, you will find a wide variety of products from manufacturers you've never heard of. Uh, and if you do that, if you do go down that rabbit hole, you'll find that there are a litany of terms and specs and things that, to your discerning eyes, don't uh, they don't line up. So, Alex, let me let me come back to you on this one. This has been. a a big issue with the industry for, for quite a long time. And, you know, we talked pre-show about how, you know, from, from amp manufacturers to speaker manufacturers, people are creative we'll call it with the numbers in general within the industry. Um, But when you get into these general consumer products, that, that liberal use of numbers just expands dramatically into just total and under utter, you know, lack of anything with, with substance, like these numbers are out of left field. Um, what does the industry need to do to try and maintain some level of, dare I say integrity when it comes to, when it comes to numbers and, and, and how to keep those, those terms and those, those, those ratings mean something.
1: Yeah, so I, I have a particular viewpoint, which might not be what everyone agrees with, but just going to kind of give you where, you know, the point of view from where I'm sitting. So the first thing is this goes way beyond just our industry. Advertising and marketing in general is so full of fluff. You go back to the, uh, you know, 70s and 80s when the, the sugar-free term started coming out. And the reality is foods don't need to have zero sugar to be termed sugar-free. And that's just one of many examples. The word diet doesn't always actually mean that this is a healthy item or that it's low calorie or low sugar. And this is just something that we face with all products. And you see it not just with technical terminology, but companies will often use various quantifiable metrics to inflate numbers that don't actually mean anything. In my industry, for example, uh, meaning voice control, you'll often see products touting the number of microphones they have. The reality is you can have a two microphone system that far outperforms a 10 microphone system. And so more microphones doesn't mean better quality, doesn't mean better listening. And this is true of many, many products. So I just wanna set the stage that we as, as a global marketing you know, kind of philosophy are tricking customers every day. And I don't think that's gonna change. So when you get into what we as an industry can do, other than accept that that's gonna happen, accept that you're gonna see these terms from these you know, no-name companies that you know get us upset but we can't do anything about, what we can do is really think about the integrations. So for example, my company, Josh AI, we integrate with only a small number of projectors, Barco, Sony, companies like that. And the companies that we integrate with, we find to be ethical, we find them to have good advertising and marketing practices. And we find that the way that we're able to recommend their products and vice versa really helped to sort of build trust with the consumer. We're not recommending some ABC projector company that no one's ever heard of, partly because we don't want to add credibility to these brands and these products that aren't in fact very credible. And so I understand that Epson is playing more in the direct consumer game. They're selling to people that don't always have integrated solutions. And that's a beast I certainly cannot tackle at this moment, but I think if a client or an integrator is selling an integrated solution, that's where we can be much more vigilant about these products that we integrate with together should meet certain standards. And I think those standards need to include not just their properties and their reliability, but how they message to their consumers.
0: Yeah, very much so, uh, Giles. Before before we get your take on this, I want to throw in another article that comes to us from Residential Tech Today, uh, talking about the quality of content is the fine wine of private private cinema, and it, they go through a really good uh, conversation uh, between a prospective client and the company that uh, he was trying to uh, get them hired for to to build this. Uh, really high performance private cinema and how we attribute it to wine in the sense that when you when you start drinking wine, most people are drinking wine from the supermarket or or your local liquor store. And it's probably not necessarily top shelf. It's probably entry level. But as you as you go down that, you know, wine journey, you find nicer wines and, and better wines and, and higher quality wines. And all of a sudden, it's a lot harder to go in and pick up that box of wine for $10 at whatever your local grocery store is. When you see the the combination of, of this article and, and the Epson article, and on one hand, we're talking about specs and, and we're selling things based on specs. This projector has this many lumens and it's got a contrast ratio of this. And then you start talking about, you know, getting into your private cinema and you're trying to I don't want to say upsell, but you're trying to sell a better experience, which means you need to sell a better product. How do you balance selling based off specs versus based off experience? And, and where, what's the, what's the Delta where those two meet?
2: Well, I, I think it's a great question, because actually, when you look at, um, you know, how how you're describing it as fine wine, that's emotive language, it's something that people can really relate to. And you can see with with Epson, I guess the problem that really exists is that for the vast majority of consumers, you know, they do buy based on spec. And I guess we're all kind of guilty of that. Is it that Epson have felt compelled to defend... You know um, their brand in this way at great expense, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. there is this. They they realise how in, how important it is that people understand what they're reading, because actually the vast majority do. They they look at the specs, and that's that's what influences their buying decision. On the other hand, you know our industry is really an industry that's built on experience, and actually part of the problem I think is often um, consumers don't really understand the difference between actually experiencing something that is high quality and how that makes you feel compared to reading a bunch of specs. And I remember seeing a barcode demonstration that was similar to this. It's like actually on paper, you know, an an iPhone camera actually has greater specs than some of these, you know, multi, you know, $1,000 projectors. However, you can't, Put a value on the quality of high of optics and the glass quality and everything that's gone into that and it's something that you know which is really sort of captured in this article is that how do you um actually motivate a customer to actually spend the money on 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 a, on this experience um it and this is really sort of compar- comparing it to something that they really do do understand and i guess it comes down to as well, where integrators are trying to determine whether they should have a, a showroom or an experience center, and I see there's a, there seems to be a movement more towards actually building experience centers. that I'm seeing, seeing now, you know, we've probably seen various changes in the industry where people have gone from having one to not having one. But actually, I, I, I see it more so, and Alex probably would, would, you know, you speak to a lot of integrators as well. There seems to be that this movement, and I think probably it's back to this original problem customers see a bunch of specs and they say, oh, I want that projector. And I actually don't really understand what that means in real terms and, and why they should maybe spend a little bit more to get something that actually really replicates that cinematic experience.
0: So let me ask you both this or either one of you, Some, someone answer the question. Um, is there is there a point where you'll never get a spec client, someone who's buying based on SPL level or 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 lumen or lux or whatever, depending on whatever you're 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 trying to sell. Is there a point where you'll never convert a spec buyer into an experience buyer? Or I mean mo- go ahead.
1: Yeah, I'll just jump in and I think truly the two go hand in hand because when you have the right specs that are being quoted that are superior, it means a better experience. And so I truly believe the experiential pitch is the better pitch. It's the more emotional pitch. But when you do have those clients who they really want to understand the specific metrics, the specs, they want to compare them. The specs need to be able to back up that experience. So to Giles point, um, or I don't know if it was Matter Giles, but one of you talking about Barco, the reality is there needs to be some way to quantify why the better quality optics are going to provide a better experience. And I think that's on, on the work of the manufacturers to say, these are the, the metrics that matter, and this is how we compare to others. And therefore, while the experience is better, and we can talk about that all day long, if you need to have a, a numbers-based argument, we're going to be able to show you they're X and we're two X, you know, we have improved, you know, set of metrics around it. I think that's going to be true of most products. There might be a couple outliers. Um, but just I'm kind of going through thinking lighting, HVAC, projectors, sound. Most products are going to have clear metrics that should be able to help amplify that story. Why does this experience sound better? Well, for these very specific reasons.
2: Yeah, very. Good. I want, I wonder if we are the only really kind of channel within the AV channel that really do sell that way, though. And and the reason I sort of say that is I wonder if you, when you're buying a TV, if you go into a retailer, they, whether they will. Mention the E word, whether it will or be. Oh, you should go for this one because it's got this, 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 and this. And actually, maybe we are the only um, channel that's really sort of tuned into the customer experience more than anything else. And I it, that that's just something that you know it just dawned on me just then is that you know if you look at the TV industry, there were brands like Bang & Ollison and Lover that were really you know focused in on that high quality um, performance. And actually in a way they've they've it's the the big brands have kind of won in a way, which was all spec driven. So it's you know, it's just a it's interesting concept really. Yeah, but tech has always
0: been tech has always been so heavily focused on spec. mm -hmm. And it it, I I always attribute it to the the auto industry, where you can have multiple cars that go zero to sixty, but the experience of going zero to sixty in a Mercedes or a Porsche is significantly better for most people than doing it in an Odyssey or an Accord. They're, they're both still you know cars or, or SUVs or, or vans, but the experience is dramatically different. And when you go into a, a high-end auto dealership, they'll talk spec if you want to talk spec, but they'll also talk the experience of Getting into that 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 quilted leather seat and and feeling the you know massaging seats as you're rolling down the highway.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna throw out um, a couple different things that are coming to mind. The first one is I certainly see in consumer products spec is often being pitched, but people are radically confused. I see it with camera equipment, certainly with televisions, but a lot of the in-person experiences are focused on. Let me show you what an what an OLED screen looks like. Let me show you what an 8K versus a 4K screen looks like in person. And I feel like as we're moving more towards online shopping, especially during COVID, it's changing the whole game of how do you experience these products when all you're doing is going on, going on Amazon.com and hitting purchase for the one that's got you know the right price and maybe some good-looking reviews. And so when I when I think about our industry. I actually feel like for a long time, we've not been focused on the experience nearly as much as we should. And I'm generalizing, I'm looking across, Mm -hmm. you know, we now work with 600 integrators across the U S and Canada. And the average amongst those dealers are still selling proposals that are, you know, 50 line items with very technical sounding products where the clients don't understand what is this thing? Why do I need this? I see a big price point, but I don't really get it. And Giles and I, late night in Vegas one night with a bunch of control four friends, were talking about how can we help the sort of proposal process be more experiential. And so we were talking about instead of having specific brands for lighting and for music and for your projector, which some clients might know or they might not know, can an integrator do a better job at basically creating the proposal based on their experience? So an example would be If your firm is, you know, ABC, you know, AV company, well, could you have a line item that says whole house surround sound music? Here's the price point. If you want the details, we'll give you the details, but you're choosing whether or not you want that whole home audio experience, you know, and you go down line item by line item and basically sell it based on not what is the product name, but what is the user experience? What is it that they get out of it? We don't see a lot of that. And I'll tell you, as someone that five years ago was not in this industry, I get reached out all the time by friends saying, hey, I don't know if I'm getting ripped off by my AV guy. Can you take a look at this proposal? You know, does this make sense to you? And I look at it and it literally looks Greek. We all on this call understand it, but the consumer has no idea what these products or these brands mean. And I think we can do a better job at selling the experience as an industry.
0: Well, and- if I, can, if I can comment on that for a second, what I find interesting is I agree 100%. We do need to move to that. We need to get out of line listing. Um, I, I've been a proponent of that for years. What I find interesting personally is my company's gone that way. We, we don't ever line list anything. Um, the pushback from most clients is fairly dramatic most times because they're not used to it so you end up having to explain to your client you're you're not only selling them on you and your service but you're also selling them on every every piece or every solution that you've put into that that proposal and often it becomes this whole well i know but what tv am i getting it's like well it, it, it's here but this is what that room's going to do this is what you want right yeah but but what's going in the room Stuff. <laughs> that,
1: that's so it, it, because I I hear the opposite all the time. I hear people who say, "Ah, oh, there's this line item that says you know this ruckus blah 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 network or this Sony XBR you know blah 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 TV." And they're like, "But I don't know why I want this item." So yeah. I, I think it's probably you can't go too far in either extreme. It, it's a it's a yep. give and take.
0: Yeah, and, and we've I, I I think at least most of our customers seem to have found. That we've got a, a comfortable balance, where we can provide some level of technical detail, so that they kind of understand what they're actually paying for, <laughs> but it's still not, hey, you're buying this piece and four keystones and this and and eight feet of wire. Because yeah, mean, it's
1: the the other option. I, I recently did this for a board book. We put together sort of an initial one-page outline of all the high-level points. You know, sort of more of the experiential stuff. And then we had a 50-page, you know, sort of informational packet attached to it so that if you want the details, you've got it. But most people are just going to look at the first page and not go any further. Yeah. So make it available, but don't shove it in their face.
2: I guess, I guess there's even another aspect to this. There's the experience stuff, there's the spec stuff, but then there's also the functional stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like actually, there's that other way of also quoting which is where you're actually writing a functional description for each each space in the home yeah. to show that you've understood what the client has asked for and actually that's also an element that should be considered as well in all of this is actually do, you know i when i was an integrator i went through various different ways of quoting you know and it, it sometimes you try and avoid listing as, as we've said any kind of model numbers at all just mm-hmm. describe how the room is going to operate but um yeah, I just showed, I think you're right. It's somewhere in the middle of all of these different ways. Um, but I also think when it comes to a home theater, it is extremely difficult to sell any, any home theater of high value without experiencing one first so that you mm-hmm. can actually have some comparison, some kind of baseline understanding yeah. before you, you spend the money on it
0: yeah very true. All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Alex, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Josh AI. get on the list for next year's secret Santa. Uh, where can they do that?
1: Uh, the website's just josh.ai. We're on all social media, uh, probably most active these days on Instagram though, so follow us there and love to engage.
0: I' gonna check that out. I'm not sure if I'm following you guys on insta. I know I'm following you but I may not be following Josh. Mr. Sutton, thank you, sir, for, for staying up late with us today. Again, congratulations on the uh, the new appointment. If people want to connect with you, learn more about Cedia, get their renewals in because that's coming up soon as well. Where can they do that?
2: Um, www.cedia.net. And um, my email, if anyone wants to get in touch, is gsutton at cedia.org. Thanks, Matt, for having me on. It's been a great show.
0: Of course. Thank you again, both of you. For myself, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover.